it was going to have an ending. Uh-huh. And then I ran, I had to start contract work. <laughs> you ran out of time. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened on Cannibal. Like almost a year later, it was uh, the exact same thing. I was like, this time I'm going to have a cool ending, just like my favorite game, Thrust Burst. And uh, seven days go by, and I was like, nope, I guess this one doesn't have an ending either. Hi, everybody. This is Soren Johnson, and you're listening to Designer Notes, a podcast about why we make games. Today, we are talking to game developer Adam Saltzman, who co-founded the indie publisher Finji, and is best known for his work on Gravity Hook, Cannibalt, Hundreds, Capsule, and Overland. So, uh, where you should like to start with is, what's the first, what's the first video game you remember? The first video game that I remember... I think it was like a Star Trek Atari thing. Wow. Okay. Like I have this vague memory of like Atari twenty six hundred or I have Atari a vague 80? memory of some kind of Atari computer and what looked like like the bridge. Okay. So this would have been an Atari like Atari's computer during the C sixty four era? Probably. Okay. This was this would have been like an eighty four ish, something like that. Yeah. Um I, but I don't even know if that was a real game or if that's like a weird memory that made up of like different pieces, but <laughs> composite memory. Yeah. Earliest things would have been like weird, probably weird, um, weird DOS games. It's okay. so like a weird DOS, like space invaders clone or like a, a vaguely outrunish. There's some kind of like EGA, like Ferrari racing game or something. Right. Um, you were you? I mean, so were you into games in the eighties? Like, yeah, well, I was. I was into like uh, computers. Okay. Um, we had my dad worked in computers, uh, doing software enterprise stuff, and so we. Um, I think when I was really really little, we only had we had like a weird like dedicated word processing terminal right. or something, and then Some monochrome things. Or, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, and then uh, I think we got. Whatever model Atari it was, it had a keyboard, and they got that because I kept messing up the grown-up's computer, and so this was something that, like, two-year-old could smash on and, and things would happen or whatever. Uh, and then um, we had some kind of some kind of 386 desktop thing. Um, and I think video games were the coolest thing you could do on any of that stuff. Sure. And then it got really, really bad when... Um, uh, I played Super Mario for the first time because like okay. a friend, uh, a friend's parents were divorced, so he got really good Christmas presents, and uh, he uh, had a uh, an NES and Super Mario, and playing that for the first time was like um, uh, very overwhelming. Right. Uh, okay. So, so you played you played some PC games, and then you got your hands on Nintendo. Yeah, it was, like... it was it was super different. I think it was actually I don't even know if it was Mario One. I think like. By the time I got my hands on a Nintendo, like Super Mario Two was already out, oh. so it was like it was weird Mario on yeah, top of that, one, and it was right. just like it was electrifying. It was like way more than I could handle. Uh, so I like saved up allowance, like twenty five cents a week, and like doing yard work and whatever. I think I was I was six. This is probably like eighty eight. Yep, and uh. I don't had you played? To, to had you played games in the arcade or like? Um, 
Not really. I live in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So where like, where did you grow up? Uh, rural Michigan. Right. Okay. Uh, and yeah. like decidedly rural. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm trying to remember when I found out about arcades. Wow. Because if you never played in arcades, then being exposed to a Nintendo. Yeah, like, no, it was like I had seen like Space amazing. Invaders on a monochrome PC, and then it was like, oh, and here's Super Mario 2. <laughs> and it was just like flesh melting off of my face. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, I had a friend up in, in Seattle, and I, I live like an hour and a half south of there, so I'd only see him very occasionally, but he was the first guy I knew who had Nintendo. And I remember he had it down in the basement, and like the first time I saw it, or the, the first time I, yeah, the first time I experienced it, like at that point, I was like, I just, I don't want to do anything with anyone. I just want to like be quiet, go down yep. to the basement, and <laughs> yep, play this. Yep. I mean, that was Super Mario One, like for sure, yeah. because it just, it just seemed amazing. I never played anything that fluid or looked that good. I mean, Super outside fluid of the arcade, right? and like magical at the time, like very magical sound, right. uh, and uh, really reactive and very like um, uh, very nonverbal, mm-hmm. which is like it's become like a game design trope now of like design your level do what you know they did on the mario games and do the thing but like you could um, tell it was designed yeah but there was there was no there were no text menus there was no anything you just kind of do this thing you just like press go and then you're doing the thing and you're figuring out how to do the thing on your own and uh it was just like it's so potent Mm -hmm. like that's a lot of i don't know that's a lot. Like, if I play a good game that's built like that now, I still get pretty excited. Like, as a grown up and as a as a six year old, it was just like it was helpless. Like, there was yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think there was like no going back after that. Yeah. Well, it's not. It was rare because the technical expertise and the design expertise, you know, when they actually lined up for a game back then was sort of a coincidence, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. Know, like. You know, often companies had one or they had the other, and like. Well, I've read a lot about um, the way development happened back then, and it's uh, so ad hoc, so made up on the fly, and so motivated by weird motivations. Like some of my favorite games, like favorite Nintendo games, are made by Sunsoft, and okay. Sunsoft wasn't even at the time. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, they weren't even a software company. Mm-hmm. They had been doing, or they weren't a game company. They'd been doing something for either the um, MSX or some kind of Japanese PC, and they knew the hardware really well. Mm-hmm. And they were seeing other companies put out games, and they were going like, "We know all the tricks. We could do that game, but have like twice as many bad guys in it." Right. But oh shoot, we can't just copy the rest of their game. Now we have to make up a new hero and a new bad guy and a, uh, find somebody who does music stuff. We don't know how that works. And right. it was just this... Um, and some of what they made were like masterpieces. They're games that hold up really well. And uh, it's always weird to me for the way that modern designers work. Mm-hmm. Like the the design of what we would consider to be a masterpiece or something that has real staying power or whatever would, I don't think it would ever start from, I know how to, I know the uh, assembly to get twice as many bad guys on screen. Right. And that's going to be the thing that snowballs into this really wild imaginative. I can get the screen to scroll smoothly. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's now, now we can make legends. Uh, Like it always comes from a place of, Oh, there's a set of emotions that I want to evoke, or I want it to be, you know, uh, the most exciting game I can, or I really want to have it set in this universe that I've designed. There's, there's all these like very, very 
high level motivations and the motivations and inspirations back then weren't that at all. It was just, you know, can, can we make something fun at all? And everything else was just made up around that. And it seemed to work just fine. Yeah. It doesn't seem any better or worse than our (laughs) fancier version, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, What other, so what other Nintendo games did you, from that era were like super important for you? Oh man. Um, the uh, it was all weird stuff like being living in the middle of nowhere and not having a lot of money. We would do a lot of uh, like whatever, like the grocery store would get like three Nintendo games and we rent them out on the weekend. So whatever three games they happen, they happen to get are the ones that we would change? get. Um, sometimes, sometimes they would get a new one. Uh, uh-huh. It wouldn't change every week, but for right. they would they would every once in a while, every few months they would get a new Nintendo game that they could rent out or whatever. And they and, would have like four. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like just a, a handful. It wasn't like a it wasn't like, like a blockbuster. Barely even part of their business, basically. Yeah, it was it was like over on the side there'd be like a row, and they had like comic books and like some toys, and there's like a couple of video games that you could rent, and mm-hmm. it was just like, and they had some VHS tapes or something, like it just like one little section, like a little eight foot wall or something, right. and they had like stuff there. Uh, but so influences were nintendo but random yeah yeah it was whatever we could whatever they had whatever was at the grocery store so whoever like whoever was buying the games for the grocery store like inadvertently curated (laughs) most of what i played led you through the the world there was was a handful of things that would break through like super mario 3 was like on our radar no matter what and especially like once um, we were in like third or fourth grade and we had other friends that were playing Nintendo. Then we would find out about games that weren't at the grocery store. Uh, but <laughs> did you, yeah, I was gonna say, did you have magazines? Like, were you aware of like what else was out there? And, uh, like, really? Like, like it was like a friend, maybe a friend had a, uh, somebody else with divorced parents had gotten <laughs> Nintendo power. Right. And so we like every month you'd just be like, what is all this? Like, uh, had no sense of what an RPG was. I never had Zelda. I never had Metroid. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, games that I revisited as an adult and have a lot of appreciation for now, but our diet was wow, like so you didn't play Zelda at all. Not as a uh, I played like once at a friend's yeah. house as a kid or something, but right. it was just not on the radar. But then played through like um, Journey to Silius or um, Batman, like a lot of the Sunsoft licensed stuff. Okay, um, just played super heavily. Journey to Silius was supposed to be a licensed Terminator game. Oh, really? And they lost the license at the last minute, okay. so they went in and made up all their own crap again. But the boss is still like a like T-800 like robot okay, guy, right. and yeah, yeah. some of the enemies are still like... They show... There's like... Some of the enemies in that game in the 80s are in like the third or fourth Terminator film, because yeah. they came from the same concept art pile that was never used or whatever. Yeah. Um, was it... So was were video games like your favorite hobby? Like, would you say that, or... Uh, yeah, yeah, but it was, like, we had the... Parents didn't want me to be on the TV all the time, and they were afraid it was going to damage the television, or, like, (laughs) make me have developmental problems, Uh or whatever. So we had, like, various arcane systems of limiting playtime. Okay. Um, At one point, it was, like... Uh, what did we get? We got like a bunch of dimes. We would get like five dollars of dimes at the start of the week, uh-huh. and if we wanted to play five or ten minutes of video games, it was like a dime, and you'd have to move it to a different bucket, okay. and then you wouldn't get that. 
So if you're trying to save up for something, you could not play video games for two weeks, and then you could huh. like, get a thing. Wow. It was complicated. So it was actual money. It wasn't yeah, like yeah. It was like real. Uh, that was like how... How did you evaluate that as a kid? Because that actually made you put... It was really weird and complicated. Yeah, and it made it made a lot of games like really... Um, it was like... Because uh, a lot of these games didn't have saves or anything anyway. So like uh, if you wanted to play a bunch of Mario 3... Uh, mm-hmm. It was like super complicated. You'd have to like not play any other video games for the whole week, and then turn on Mario Three on Saturday morning yeah. at like ten a.m. Monday, I need some and, like I need some credit. Yeah, so I can, like, it was, I can it was really going. tricky. Like I play like I got two hours in, then take a break for lunch, like pause it, but turn off the TV so mom and dad yeah. didn't, didn't get mad, and I can only keep the volume up to a certain level because they didn't yeah. like chippy chip tune sounds, and then like come back after lunch and play through worlds like three through seven, and then uh, like kind of be kind of low on the clock but if you did it on Sunday then it would reset to the next week's playtime so then you could like leave it on go to school come back and then after school start playing world 8 with like the next week's thing it was just like it was oh, a weird weird metagame did you ever get any um, okay first of all did you cheat the system uh, I mean, yeah, constantly. But, like, but it was in like little ways, and it always felt like playing with fire because right. it always felt like, oh, if we if we get bad about this, then they'll just take the whole Nintendo. Right. Like it was just like it was just so like, very touchy. Cheat, but like you didn't want to push it too yeah, far. Yeah, you maybe get like eleven minutes instead of ten once in a while or something. But it was just like like I didn't want to. It was like playing with fire. I just didn't want to. Yeah, too much was at stake. Yeah, I mean, did you? Were there ever any days when kind of like. I don't know. You know, you were you happened to be the only one home, or the only one paying attention, or like like the, you know the cat food bag falls over, the cat <laughs> right. gets in the bag and just keeps eating the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like it was like later, like after, like at some point they just abandoned yeah. this whole thing. They were just like, this is hopeless. Like either this kid will figure it out, uh, <laughs> and they went to a more yeah. ad hoc system of no, it's sunny, you can't. Sorry, but if it's if the weather's terrible and we lived in, you know, southeast Michigan where yeah, the weather was so frequently terrible, the winter, then, winter, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we lived on a big, we had like 20 acres of woods and stuff, so there was not like a shortage of adventures or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's cool. All right, so what other, so what other like random games that you got exposed to like made a, made a difference? Uh, there was a weird port of Heavy Barrel mm-hmm. by Data East. And played that too much. It was like just like a bunch of weird games. Like that we played to uh, oh, TNC Surf Country. I think we played pretty much to completion. Mm-hmm. Um, it was unbelievably hard. It's like there's like a tiki mask guy and a gorilla. It's like a it's like a, a action skateboarding surfing game based around like a surf clothing brand thing. Yeah. It's weird. One time, Dad brought home a Nintendo game from a business trip. Our minds were blown, but he is his company that he worked at was doing something with Nestle, and Nestle had made a promotional oh. NES thing called Treasure Quest or something. Uh-huh. And we played, and that was just miserable. It was just the worst. Yeah, I was, was, was going to ask, like, hey, would you play games that you're like, this game is terrible, but like maybe this is my only option? It was, yeah, it was the only it. thing, and we just sit there and play it and play it and play it. And sometimes it meant uh, you were finding, like, a lot of people weren't interested in that Journey to Silius game because it was kind of like less fun Contra. Mm-hmm. It would be a completely fair way of describing it, <laughs> but it had. Uh, 
absolutely wild art and music. And if you didn't, if I had other games to play that were more fun, I probably would have been playing those instead of like digging deeper into this kind of like weak memorizey contra game that ended up having just like uh, incredible pixel art and incredible music and like had a, like a Fisher Price recorder thing. It would like uh, found the cheat code in a magazine to get to like the debug menu where you could get extra lives and stuff in mm-hmm. the game, but you could also do sound test. Mm-hmm. So we got like a blank tape in this Fisher Price recorder thing and like got to the sound test menu and just like play the music from the game and record it on the tape. Uh-huh. And then I could listen to the game's music when I wasn't using up my video game time <laughs> to play the game. <laughs> wow. It was like, uh, this is close enough. It's almost like, yeah. And it was really like cool music. Like I, yeah. it's a, it's, um, it's you know now considered like it's like one of the best right. you know uh, bits of musical programming on any NES cart, uh-huh. and it was just like so you were making your own soundtracks basically, kind of, yeah. uh, which is still what I do. I don't have play time to play games now, but I can still listen to soundtracks while I work. <laughs> it's still, uh, it's still uh, happening for different yeah. reasons. Yeah, huh. cool. Bit of um, a through line. Were you so? Were you also were you playing using computers at this time? Like were you uh, thinking at all about like programming? Like were you into it at that? A age, little or? bit. I feel in like um, in retrospect, I feel like I like grew up with very weird timing mm-hmm. where like C sixty four or Amigas or whatever were uh-huh. kind of like going away a little bit right. by the time I was like able to handle abstraction and um, math like things and procedures and whatever. And um, uh, it was way, way, way before stuff like Game Maker or um, uh, whatever came click and play, like all those yep, weird, sure. weird in between things. Here the gap to like Commodore literally opened with a basic prompt. Yeah. Right. So it was yeah. like, please program me. Program the crap out of and this. And then eventually, you know, you know, kind of essentially with like yeah. the introduction of GUIs and Windows, like we're trying to hide all that stuff from the. the yeah. The so we users. had like so we had QBasic. Yeah. Did have like we had a, a um, we had one computer that I think didn't have Windows. It just was running DOS. Okay. Um, and uh, I remember using doing QBasic stuff on that a little bit when mm-hmm. I was maybe eight or nine or ten or something like that, but. Um, the thing when you're in that in-between space, the thing that we did have was like weird, um, like Wolfenstein level editor things okay. where you could like open up a Wolfenstein level and it would be like a, a, a bitmap basically. And then you could ch- change where the walls were and put in little colored pixels for this is where lamps go and this is where a turkey is or whatever. And here's where the Nazis go and um, here's where a secret wall goes and all of those things. Uh, Wait, is this the... This is the is this the original Wolfenstein you're talking about? Or uh, the 3D one later. The 3D one. Later, okay. Yeah. Uh, they had these they were like aftermarket map editor things. Right. Um, and we kind of like dabbled with that who's, a little who's bit. We? I would be me and like friends, sure. like middle school friends. Right. Okay. Um, so you started making some levels. Yeah, and then um, and then got like Doom shareware disc or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, that was like that was pretty close to like that seeing Mario two for the first time sure. thing. Like Wolfenstein was kind of cool, and then Doom was just like this is messed up. How good this is! Like right. this is this is not right. And then gradually started to figure out that um, you could get map editors for Doom also. Yeah. And so um, like saved up a bunch of money and like sent a check to New England somewhere and then they mailed back like floppy disks in an envelope and installed those and had a 
uh, I don't remember what it was called, Deep Edit or something. Um, so there were. It was like huh. a Doom I was, I mean, map editor. I assume Doom had an, an editor, but they were like third, they were basically third party editors that people were using. Yeah, and I, I have no idea if that was appropriate. Like, if there might have been a Doom map editor on the floppies, and I have no idea. I had no, I don't, did find, I didn't have internet yet. Guys? I don't remember. Back of a game magazine, probably or something. Maybe or like a friend, <laughs> like yeah. of. Uh, because I was the uh, I was the oldest one in my family, but uh, I had one friend who had two older brothers who were like five or six years older, and so I think one of them, even when we were in middle school, one of them was in high school, and maybe one of them was in college, and so you would get like weird arcane knowledge about video games and computer things would sort of like filter down right. from his older brothers down through him to me, uh, but uh, yeah. Well, do, that, that's, do map editing stuff was yeah no was, that's actually really cool. I asked because like I always think it's nice when you you design your modding stuff so that it's easy for people to theoretically build tools for other modders yeah and yeah it sounds like that was already happening with Doom so that's, that's yeah cool. it was definitely a third party thing it was some and maybe like I don't even know maybe they were taking an, ex, an existing thing and like wrapping it up or whatever and I never I've actually never gone back and looked up like what was the editor and who made it and yeah, what yeah, they yeah. do now or anything. Huh. All um, right. So, what type of so what type of levels would you make? Like, just terrible single player levels. <laughs> like, I know, like it was really I, like like uh, FPS modding. Uh, so, like Doom, Heretic to Quake One to Quake Two to Half Life uh, was like probably my main creative outlet on computers uh-huh. uh, for like five or ten years or something, and I was awful at it. Okay. Like so, you all you transitioned to the new one every chance you got. Pretty much, yeah. As soon as as soon as we had a computer that could run the yeah. new thing, then I would get the new thing and track down. Not by 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 the time Doom came out, it was like clear. It was like, oh, if I get a new thing, there will be, be somewhere I'll find a thing and I can yeah. you know I get. Why a, were you making levels? Uh, it's like it was the only thing. Like I there was like MS Paint. Uh-huh. And there was the Doom level editor, and that was like all the <laughs> it was your all only, the things that I could figure out how to do on the computer. It was your only paintbrush. Yeah, yeah. basically, uh, and, um, and it was basic, too big. It's too big of a leap to figure out how to do. You know, it felt C or yeah, whatever. it felt like impossible. Uh-huh. Um, and it was it was like a weird, awkward time. Like you could, if you wanted your game to work on your computer, mm-hmm. you could probably do that, but. Um, OpenGL was like in its infancy, yeah. uh, and uh, well, doing these uh, doing these interviews, it's definitely a theme. Like, there's, there's a whole generation of game developers that this was their yeah of, was making making levels for Doom and Half-Life I think even if I tried, like, even if I was like, I was like, man, I'm gonna do some, I want to make my own like Duke Nukem game or my own whatever. Yeah. Like, those things were being those were really singular computer games. Yeah, those were only being made by a handful of people. Yeah. So like I think even if I was even if I was like yeah I'm gonna dig in there and do yeah. my own thing right down on the metal well, you, could, you know when you're making a level you can do something you can see the results really quickly yeah right? I mean, that was you you'd have a three D preview window yeah. and you could just uh, like close the editor launch the game it would start up right away and it would load your custom 
wad file or whatever and right. you could run around and do the thing and be like oh that is actually not fun at all i'll put a bunch of bad guys over here right. and like oh that's not fun either and i'm gonna make secret doors and yeah and, and how what and what are the boundaries of this thing how yeah. big of a space can you make it once without the computer freaking out and, and what type of so when you're making these levels like what were you trying to accomplish like making like oh this one's gonna be super hard or like i'm gonna do this kind of weird story thing or like i have no idea you don't remember i think it was just like just getting to do anything and would you there was some there was like there was stuff that would i guess we'd get you like i would get arrested now for but like i made like a map of like my high school (laughs) and like made it full of demons and you'd run around and kill all the demons in the high school but i think a lot of that was just like um uh taking places that i knew Uh, well and that had a weird floor plan that was about the size of a video game level and now put it in yeah yeah, it's like some new paints are like i'm gonna see can i paint and, and it would break. Like, there was no way. Like, you could take a house plan or a building plan and that had the right measurements. Mm-hmm. Um, and because like, I had, a, um, like, a drafting class in high school. And yeah. so it was, like, getting trying to get familiar with blueprints and CAD software and stuff. Like, any whatever you could get my hands on. And you would put it into Doom and it would look terrible. It, like, wouldn't work because it's not a 3D thing like like doom is not if you put this room into the doom engine it wouldn't look right or feel right the field of view is really weird and the way you move oh. through the space is really weird and huh. the heights are weird and the way the ray casting stuff renders things is all just weird and so it's did you understand that or like what did you think not, was going on not i it didn't make a lot of sense or it, it was it was like a transformative thing or something it was like taking so you took a, a building or whatever that you knew really well and you put it into this thing, you could see that it was all technically the same, but that also it was really weird and different. And mm-hmm. uh, But I don't remember... Like, there was never... There was no part of any of that that was like, oh, I've got my own, you know, game idea and my own sort of game universe and I'm going to make a whole game and pack it up or something like that I think um, did you give your levels to friends or like did you actually do anything with it or were you just basically sketching I think it was mostly sketching like I'm sure I'm sure I shared levels with friends once in a while and there was I think at one point I got like really ambitious and tried to make like a whole doom campaign and it was going to be like a bunch of levels in a row and I had some notion from playing Doom and other things that maybe these levels would all be related somehow. Right. Um, but there was never... Um, there was never, like, the right level of patience or right level of mastery to go through and actually build, uh, you know, something cohesive or that looked okay. Like, after a while, like, you did start to... the like vanilla doom engine has all these just um really really extreme limitations on what you can do and what kind of shapes you can make and how much things can overlap and all of that stuff and i can i can remember like wanting like trying to find cool tricks that you could do around that like oh i really wanted to have a statue of a guy here but it needs to either cascade or have some kind of special trick up at the top because otherwise pieces can't stick out over the other pieces so maybe it needs to be a broken statue and oh maybe you can like do like some storytelling type stuff. Right. Like, I remember, like, uh, it's so like skulls in the toilet, but mm-hmm. like playing Quake Two for the first time, and Quake Two starts uh, in this room, and behind you is like a little like crash escape pod thing, and a big hole in the ceiling, and rubble everywhere. And I was like 
totally impressed, like <laughs> like profoundly floored by this like wild innovation. Yeah. Um, but there, was, there also wasn't anything else like that. Like the quake levels were so abstract right. uh, and so disconnected, and all the Doom levels were like that too. Uh, and the idea that was like, I don't know. I remember that being. I, disproportionately unjustifiably impressed by this little <laughs> escape pod thing that was yeah. like modeled and sitting there and part of the game world and stuff. Yeah. Uh, did you, so what did you, did you think at this time that like, what did you think you were going to do? Like were, uh, you, were you thinking about video games or was that just yeah, like crazy? And it was, but it didn't make, it was like a little disjointed or something. It was like like very very specifically, frequently thinking. Definitely going to try to make video games. Don't know how. Uh-huh. Might end up having to do something else instead. But what was we, your big plan? Uh, the like as I got older, the plan became. Uh, well, I'm going to go to college and t- I know to make computer games, you have to learn how to do programming, real programming. And yeah. I, I tried to teach myself and the, it just hadn't worked in high school. Um, I did like some visual basic stuff and some other things and it just never clicked, tried to learn Java and that was a nightmare yeah. and I felt really bad about it. And now in retrospect, I'm like, no, that's, that's actually fair. Java was, was awful. <laughs> it, was, it was a terrible thing to try to learn first. Um, and uh, the idea was we go to college, learn how to do computer programming. Probably I could get paid to program computers doing something, something right. but along, so I will have picked up a survival job skill thing and maybe some of what I need to actually make games or whatever. So college was the first time that I made like a C plus plus open GL or C, it was a direct X game, I guess. Okay. Um, where'd you, where'd you go to school? Uh, University of Michigan. Okay, and um, they they didn't have a games program or anything. So, right. but um, you, you signed up for the CS department. Pretty uh, sort of. It was it was kind of a hassle because um, CS was technically in engineering, I think, uh, and so they had uh, just this like wild, endless list of requirements and classes that I was not interested in. That you had to at get all. through before you yeah, basically like or it had to or you had to do those in order to graduate okay. in the computer science department or right. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Take a bunch um, of physics classes. And you couldn't take the computer science classes if you weren't in the department unless the dean said it was okay. Uh, and so ended up doing a uh, can't remember what they called it. Um, but uh, I got to pick classes from a bunch of different departments and as long as my counselor signed off on it and all the heads of all the other departments signed off on it, then it would be approved as a new course of study. Um, it's called it independent concentration or something. Okay. Uh, wow. And Sounds like you really didn't want to do the study. I path. really didn't want to take calculus. Like, <laughs> okay. I, I really didn't want to take calculus. Wow. Um, so you never took calculus? Never took calculus. Not even high school? Oh, well, I took, like, like high school level calculus, but not, like, Calc 2, Calc 3. Yeah, like, like the high school stuff, like, really, really basic integration stuff. Yeah. And then everything after that, I just wasn't interested. But there's other kinds of math that I was interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Discrete math and combinatrix and cryptography and um, all that stuff. So I did take that sure. in, in college. Yeah, um, yeah I, was, but, I was looking for math that I thought would be useful for games. Like, oh, probability. Yeah, yeah. Know? Like, oh, graph theory. <laughs> cool. I'm into yeah. this. And also, it's way more the way my brain works. Like, calculus gets uh, really, really abstract for me in a way that I don't... 
not interested in and I've never found a use yeah. for either. In like, good for you. It's kind of a rite of passage to have to go through calculus. So yeah, I just kind <laughs> of bailed on it. And there was a bunch of weird, like uh, I really wanted to get the prerequisite programming courses done, but you couldn't take those without taking discrete math. Yeah. This really, really basic discrete math course, but I already taken a higher level discrete math and cryptography course but that didn't hack it because of some departmental something. So it took a lot of things side by side and it was all a weird mess, but it meant that at the end of the day I got to take um, like film editing classes, animation classes, um, history classes, creative writing classes, computer science classes. Because you had room in your schedule now for that. Yeah. So there was, there was space and all I had to do was um, stand up with a, like a bachelor of the arts or something instead of bachelor of the sciences. Why? So why were you taking these type of classes? What? There was some, I had some notion at the time that a, I would be really unhappy as an engineering student because I'd just be spending a lot of time on stuff that I wasn't interested in. Um, B college was super expensive. You know, as an in-state student there sure. and 20, 15 years ago or whatever, uh, 17 years ago, it was, I didn't want to be there any longer than I had to be. And I really wanted to learn. Um, I had some notion that video games were multidisciplinary on some level. And I knew from, modding levels it was like oh I, you know i need to be able to draw the stuff that goes on i need to draw these textures that go on the wall and i need to have uh i need to be able to write a cool story and design cool aliens and um do i probably thought i was gonna have to do cutscenes or something <laughs> like so i just wanted like all these different bits and pieces of interested in in them on their own but they also seemed like they would go into this big bucket of like game stuff had you paid attention to video game companies at the time like looked on websites like what are what are they hiring like yeah what do they want? so there was nothing it was basically nothing local yeah uh whatsoever uh and uh i had there was like a growing sense that there was such a thing as a game company yeah so i knew there was sort of like oh Half-Life was made by people, and Doom and Quake were made by people, and so like John Romero was a big deal at the Mm -hmm. time, and I had a a notion that like um, uh, there was a guy called Miyamoto, and he made video games, but not a real concrete notion of like what that looked like or what he was doing or whatever, and um, and then partway through college, the the big career plan as I got close to graduating was. I played Metroid Prime and I uh, just wanted to go work there. Um, I down thought in, was, down like, in Texas? You mean? Yeah. You found out they were down there. Yeah. Yep. They were in Austin. And then started poking around and, oh, there's a bunch of other stuff in Austin, too. Yeah. There's the guys that made Deus Ex are in Austin. Yeah. And the guys that made uh, Ultima are in Austin. And all these places existed still back yeah. then, also. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, the Turok games were made in Austin and there was just like a bunch of stuff down there. I was like, cool, we should go do that. That sounds, that seems good. And then, um, uh, nobody, nobody wanted to hire a student with no experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really wanted to do art, I think at the time too, I wasn't applying for as many programming jobs and the programming jobs were all the catch 22, like right. you have to have three years of experience, etc. Uh, and my art skills were not 
like I applied to retro a bunch of times and they never while while you were in school or after you, uh, after, after you graduated? I graduated and moved and applied a bunch and they okay. never so you even, you graduated from Michigan did you get, did you get a CS degree uh, no it was just it was just it was just weird, weird independent thing that you did thing, okay. yeah hey good for them for allowing that I'm actually surprised that was a yeah, thing at like a state school like I, Michigan, well because so. there was no other way to like at the time because like it was already a video game obsession or whatever right. and at the time if i wanted to pursue that and so get a you, games degree right. it would have been cmu right MIT, so you were basically trying to like build your own game degree yeah yeah at M- michigan at a place In i could afford to attend or whatever. Yeah. yeah which is yeah uh, wow. and it's like uh it ended up okay-ish like the big like did they understand that? Because the thing is, back then, like you probably sort of. been better off with like, okay, I have a CS degree from Michigan, and they'd be like, okay, great. Yeah, because like when I tried, when I ended up getting work, um, I would go to places and like uh, people who don't live around maybe the Northeast or the uh, Midwest, like University of Michigan is like going to Harvard or something. Mm. Like uh, at the at least at the time, like I could have gone to almost any place in Chicago or New York or maybe even London and just been and like turned over my thing. And it would have said, I would have shown a really, uh, really high GPA from university of Michigan. And they would have been like, yeah, come on, you join the club, do whatever you want here. Right. But we went to Texas and they were like, Oh, that's that. You guys got like, uh, uh, quite a football team up there. And then they, <laughs> they look at my, this, this course of study that yeah. I had created that just, the, just getting that approved was like, uh, like 40 to 60 hours of sure. bureaucracy on my end, like taking the bus all over campus and getting all the deans to sign off. And they get to that part of the resume and they go, Oh, general studies. Hmm. Yeah, what is it? Um, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. If I saw that resume, I would be like, well, this is, I don't know what the, you know, I don't know yeah, how to judge no, this, I, right? And like, I, I hadn't done the math on that part of it. Yeah. Like, it, it had achieved everything I wanted to. Like, I got out of, I graduated like three and a half years instead of four and had the background and everything I wanted to have background in and then moved to a city where nobody cared that that was the school I went to and nobody cared about my course of study either. Yeah. Um, but I've been doing some extracurricular programming and, um, yeah. were you make so yeah. So were you making games but uh, now that you had a program? I mean, like- I had started trying to make some games cause I'd, um, I'd been working in C and DirectX and, um, Python and, uh, it was very inspired by all these data driven FPS games. I wanted to make more of a, um, uh, side scrolling kind of 2D game engine that was going to be hopefully like very data driven so you could have a nice handy level editor and make little pixel art guys and uh-huh. um, and uh, it would all be you know XML and PNG files and cool. um, built all the groundwork for that and it took a few months and we do this 100% on your own? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then it was like uh, it was it was sort of the classic thing of like doing engine and tools work instead of actually just making, making a game. game. Yeah. Uh, and so the engine and tools were really weird because there wasn't I wasn't dog fooding anything. Yeah. Um, but that was like the first, and it was all loosely based on like the DirectX framework that I've been using in college and that stuff. That's all. That was all like the very very first baby steps for Flixel, which ended up happening you know five years after that or something. Right. Four right. years after that. Um, 
Yeah. It was just like like preoccupation with having like a cool little that was a common, little tool set to make. That was stuff. a really common problem back then, you know, before Unity or whatever other yeah tool you have is like you know you want to do something but you just can't. Yeah, this like you, this, got, you need something to start this two D three D like DirectX framework that they had given us because they it was a it was a college problem too. They wanted to have a they had an interactive game course. You could did one 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 course uh-huh. and the it was. It was a hot mess course. You had to make like an arcade game and like an inform seven game, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a text adventure, and then you had to do a team project game or something. Right. Uh, and everyone there was terrible at everything. But um, but yeah, they handed you this like C DirectX framework, and for the very first time, you were like writing code, platform dependent code, but you're writing real code and loading up PNG files, and they were moving around on the screen and doing all the things and. It was really cool. <laughs> uh, and so I started like kind of rebuilding that and trying to um, just make it less awful to code. Uh, right. And it was it was hard to do and it took a really long time and yeah, and no game was coming out of it. I didn't have any conception of all the really common advice you get now, which is like, well, take a really small idea and then make it smaller and then make it smaller and then make it a little bit smaller and now that's a good first game to try to program because you might ever get anything done uh and so when i started i finally got around to doing now what were you i mean what were you thinking you were going to do with whatever game was going to come out of this uh because that was there was clear. basically no way to sell a game yeah you know? uh i uh, had no notion that we would talk to a publisher or anything like there was i don't there was no like at that point, there was an idea of, like, we're going to make a game about a thing. And we had, like, a backstory. Um, it was, like, a few friends. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was going to be a game about, like, people stranded on an island. And they're kind of exploring the island and trying to get rescued or something like that. And so it could be a 2D game, but we didn't have, like, mock-ups or yeah. <laughs> anything. It was just, like, a lot of, like, t- really excited text documents, basically. <laughs> uh, and no... Um, yeah no substantive anything and uh the idea was just like we'll we'll just make the whole game and it'll be the best like stranded on an island adventure that anybody ever had and then we would solve the rest of the problems later and then yeah i worked on the engine for it for like three months and then that was it i never went anywhere and so but so around this so you you know you graduated with your thing and did you just move to austin on your own just yeah, like, Beck and I packed up. She had a Toyota Corolla that my parents had co-signed on, and we hooked a U-Haul the back of it, uh-huh. um, which you're not supposed to do. It turns out because <laughs> it'll 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 absolutely wreck your Corolla, and um, put like our computer desk and uh-huh. like um, a handful of other things in the trailer, and just drove to Texas like and a you, week you, after graduating. And you drove to Austin because you knew there were a bunch of video game companies there. Yeah, and, and I was I was an awesome game designer who was ahead of my time, and so I could just basically walk into any of those places. I would get a job at like doing food service, and I would just walk into Retro and be like, "You're welcome. <laughs> Hi, I'm here. I can yeah. I can do all this cool stuff now." Uh, and um, I think a bunch of things happened. One was like it was it was extraordinarily bad timing. Um, the dot com two thousand two something like two thousand three early two thousand four. Okay. Um, so the dot com thing had happened uh, like a year before, and so Austin was what did they call it? They had a 
they had a name for it, but it's not like a saturated talent pool or okay. something like that, which basically meant everyone had been fired and everyone was looking for work and everyone had yeah. way more experience than an idiot yeah. who just graduated from college. Austin seems to have those cycles. Yeah. It, it, and I think it's, I think it's going to have another one pretty soon. Probably <laughs> it's people who like, we have friends who live there since the nineties and yeah. they're like, yeah, this is what it was like in 2001. Yeah. And, um, Okay, so you drove down there not knowing. I mean, did you have like an apartment? Do you know you where you were? Gonna we go had to, an or? apartment because we had we had flown down at Thanksgiving uh-huh. and had um, picked out an apartment. It was okay. like twelve hundred square feet for like six hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Did you guys have like some sort of you know basic job to start just to pay the bills? Uh, or? The Sort of. Okay. Uh, Becca worked at the Olive Garden. Okay. Um, my wife and partner at Findico. Yep. Uh, and um, it was, but it was a little misleading because she had worked at the Olive Garden on um, basically on the University of Michigan campus, okay. which is like a disproportionately fancy Olive Garden where everyone tips really well oh. um, because Ann Arbor has uh-huh. this weird Long Island. Okay. attitude about everything really um <laughs> okay. yeah it's a weird place i love it but it's a it's a weird place okay. um and uh when she started working at just a random olive garden she, in downtown austin somewhere yeah we, we were losing money and so i uh fast and i tried to transfer because i worked at the olive garden in college as a saute cook uh, and they didn't want me to work there um, <laughs> for whatever reason. Okay. Uh, and so I worked at Fry's Electronics, okay. like stocking, not even as a salesman on commission, but like stocking and cleaning shelves. And even with our rent at like 600 bucks a month, we were still losing money every month. Wow. And okay. So you guys moved to New City. To yeah. Kind of the jobs you could get. Yeah. And you were, you were going to apply to game companies. Yeah, and the idea was this is this is just a temporary thing, and I'm yeah. so I applied to like all five. Midway was there still, right. so Midway, um, Origin, yeah, you know, and, Retro, and it was the it was unbelievably bad timing because Midway was a disaster. Uh-huh. Um, they it took them a long time to fully die. Um, there was I think THQ had a thing going there because they made Darksiders down there, right? Um, but uh, Origin was going away. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ion Storm, I later figured out that this was funnier than I thought it was at the time, but I had applied for like really, really entry QA stuff. I was uh-huh. just like, I'll do anything. I don't yep. care. Yep. I've played stealth games before. I'll, let me, I'll help you fix Thief 3 or whatever. I don't care. Yep. Just let me in the building. And, um, <laughs> and they were like, uh, cool. Actually, sounds great. I, I'm guessing I just like white guide my way into that. I'm just like, <laughs> hey, whatever. And right. they were like, cool. Yeah, come on over. Um, you I'll like call you, you on like Monday. Us. We can't wait for you to be here. Kind of. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, by Monday, I got an email back that was like, so the only we do have some bad news, which is um, they have removed our entire QA department. Okay. This was like two or three months before. Deus Ex 2 and Thief 3 came out. Uh-huh. All of Ironstorm's QA was... It's an interesting time to get rid of your QA department. Yeah, I didn't make it... At the time, I was just like, oh, it's another rejection, oh, whatever. And then about a year later, I was like, hmm, that should have been a sign. Like, <laughs> yeah. I should be able to like, put the pieces together there. Uh, not headed in the right direction. Uh-uh. 
So, so, they, so that must have been disappointing. Like you finally got some sort of yeah. Job. Retro just wouldn't email me back, yeah. and I uh, uh, working at Fry's was grim, uh, and um, a thing happened while I was working at Fry's involving the book "Who Moved My Cheese," okay, which I think they were, they meant they sat us all down in like a meeting room, like a break room uh-huh. at the fries and our like really well-intentioned manager who was a super nice, cool guy and whose wife or somebody actually worked at certain affinity at the time. And so oh, I was really? like, Oh, I've got a connection. I've yeah. got an in now. Uh, he sat down and he made everyone sit down and read us who moved my cheese in its entirety. The entire book. Yeah. And How long did that take? Like an hour at least. An hour? I think so. Is it like a... Maybe it was only a chapter of it. I don't yeah, know the exact got, format. It was the book rate, thing. Sounds, it was the primary fable or that whatever. That still sounds like uh, quite an enduring... It was pretty miserable. <laughs> but And the intent was that you get inspired to uh, think ahead, plan ahead, uh-huh. move up in the organization of the like electronic supply store or whatever. And like... It had this like radical motivating effect on me. It was just like I have to get out of here as soon as possible. I cannot work here. I and started applying for like it's going to sound like an exaggeration, but I was on Monster Jobs and Yahoo Jobs and like all the things and was applying for like dozens of jobs a day, <laughs> Jeez. every day for weeks and uh-huh. just getting nothing back and eventually. Uh, a recruiter who was the contact on one of the things, uh, I still don't know why, but called me up and said, Hey, not hiring you. Uh, don't have anything for you. Uh, your stuff came across my desk and it's awful. Okay. And he's like, here's what you need to do to have a cover letter that works. And here's how you need to structure your resume. Cause this is a train wreck. Uh, and Nice. I took a bunch of notes and he was yeah. like, that's all and hung up oh. and I went and restructured everything and, um, kept applying for jobs and got hired like a few days later Oh wow! at a little software company and was a windows programmer, um, oh, okay. windows software programmer for the next like two and a half years. All right. And you suddenly had like a salary that actually yeah. was like, not it was, crazy. it was, it was not a, a, a high salary at the time, but we weren't losing money anymore. <laughs> uh, right. and we moved out of our apartment where like we couldn't run the heat in the winter cause the heat builds, it was yeah. electric heat or something and the apartment wasn't sealed properly. And oh, wow. so we were getting, if we ran the heat in the winter, it was like 600 bucks a month or something. <laughs> oh, so we had a series of, it was bad. Wow. Uh, we moved moved shortly after that, right. and uh, yeah, had a quasi real job for yeah. two and a half mean, years, which is the longest can... job I ever had. <laughs> really? Yep. Interesting. I mean, if you could, and that's the thing, if you could program, like that, you should be able to get a job, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and that was the th- and and it was tricky because I didn't have everything was so domain specific. Like yeah. they brought me in there, like how much low level, you know, Win thirty two or um, MFC stuff have you done and. At, at this point in interviewing for things, I was just, I had no expectations of anyone uh-huh. about anything. So they, like they invited me in and I was like, I have no idea what you just said. I don't know what MFC is. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll look it up. I, but I, I, I don't know what to do with it. And they were like, uh, so they turned your resume, you like made your own 3d modeler in your spare time. And I was like, yeah, it was fun. 
And they were like, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. Come on in. Uh, I didn't work on 3D modelers there or anything, but I think <laughs> they just, the CTO hated supervising and micromanaging people, yeah. and he wanted people who would just come in and do the stuff and right. go home, and that was enough. What, and, what's, what type of software did they make? Uh, it was like digital photography software. Okay. Um, and uh, so, in very vertical, so they had uh, servers where you could send photos to print labs. And they had um, point-of-sale stuff that they did, um, one-offs for specific clients, and they had photo editing software for prosumers um, and a, a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah. But okay. um, their, their thing, their, um, and they had a few, they had a few like, uh, patents about image analysis stuff that were kind of at the root of some of the work that they did. But their whole hook was that they were Windows exclusive uh-huh. as a, like a photo processing thing, which even by the time I started working there, I was like, this is a weird choice. Mm. Um, and like, you know, what do you guys think about um, making your, your tool set cross-platform so we can, you know, do Mac versions? Because nobody's going to, like... Everybody that's taking photo, everybody's, if they're taking a picture, they're taking it and processing it on their Mac. And they were like, nah. Um, so that, I don't think that company exists anymore either. <laughs> All right. Uh, cool. So you have, a, you have a job now, but you still want to make games, presumably. So. Yes. And, and was very, like, very upfront with them. I was like, hey, this sounds great. I would love to come in here. I'll, tr- I'll do the best programming I can here, and I'll do my 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, like... I'm not gonna, like I if if retro calls me up and says you should come work here right. I'm gonna leave yeah right away and I apologize in advance were you trying to make connections with people in, yeah uh, I was like going to like uh, there was like a, a afternoon sketch group thing so mm-hmm. on the weekend you could go to the coffee shop and there'd be um, comic book people and web comics and some uh, some game it was uh, the sketch group was started by Mike judge. Oh, really? whole people um, okay. and he didn't attend anymore but yeah. there was a couple of um, professional comic book artist guys there and I met um, one of our um, very very best friends in Austin for almost the whole time we lived there it was a guy that I met there who was um, a game artist at the time at King's Isle mm-hmm. um, before Tom Hall started working there mm-hmm. and they made like a wizard yep. school game mm-hmm. or something yeah. Um and he was a he started as a 3D artist there, like a junior artist, and then it was kind of like working his way up. And it's just a he does maquettes now, I think, and he's just smartest, awesomest, most friendly dude. Uh, and okay, I thought and he worked across the river from me, so I thought like, okay, now I know one artist guy, and maybe maybe now I'm close to having an in. And uh, but at the, around the same time is when I was starting to figure out that. I probably would be a really bad game employee, kind okay. of. So, like, there was a thing. I was like, man, I really... I tried to get jobs so hard and it never, ever worked. And but now I have this kind of stable programming job and I make games on nights and weekends. And that's kind of fun. Why did you think uh, you'd be a bad employee at, like, Retro this was so. I believe that this is around the time of, like, EA Spouse. Okay. Basically. Right. So this is like the yeah, that sounds right AAA like like quality of life uh, work life balance stuff blowing up right. um, for maybe the first time uh, and uh, looking at it and just kind of going like well 
wanted to get married and, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually we want to have a family and I don't know if I want to do that in that environment. And it wasn't clear at the time at all that were there studios you could go work at where that didn't happen. Right. Um, uh, Cause certainly that, that ethos was alive and well at almost every studio in Austin. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, retros run like a, a really committed Japanese company basically. And I and storm Austin did not have healthy balance going on. <laughs> yes. uh, Famously uh, so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, uh, a new studio would pop up and, and um, sure enough, they would have terrible work-life balance and terrible, terrible crunch. And uh, it just like um, NC soft opened a studio in Austin for a while. Yeah. Uh, and um, Richard Garriott was there doing things and just all these, it just, um, I don't know. It was, it was kind of like classic, like triple games are getting so, so, so big. Like there was like the like golden era of gaming for me in a lot of ways was like say Genesis games and PlayStation one games. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could, you could conceive of the fact that like a few people right. could make something yeah. like this and the game started to get so big. And I remember finally getting my in like um, artist friend I'd met at sketch group. We'd been friends for a while and getting lunch. Cause we worked at the same part of the city. And um, he's like, Hey, so my animator friend, he's at NC soft. He heard about, they've got a junior environment artist position opening up. Um, I think this is where it's at. And uh, I met the guy for the guy who was hiring and we went out to lunch and had a sandwich and everything was cool. And uh, he said, okay, well let's, let's do, um, you know, let's do an art test and then um, I'll talk to you again in a week or whatever. And right. I spent most of the weekend making like shingles for like a hovel. Like the art test was yeah. like make a medieval hovel, but um, you need to do it in high poly and then make a low poly mesh with a normal map and stuff. And uh, I was like probably two thirds of the way through modeling the hovel. And I was just like, this is absolutely miserable like i cannot and for me not that like not that that position was somehow menial in and of itself but i got like two thirds way through it and i was just like this is not what this wasn't what you thought you were gonna try to do no this is and i can't do this if i go do this i will i would rather do the non-game programming that's pretty satisfying Uh 40 hours a week and then do things that are the size and type of thing that I'm interested on the side, I would much rather do that than go do like, like shingles for medieval huts for like a hundred hours a week or whatever. So what's interesting about that is now that seems like a somewhat rational decision. I mean, it's still like super hard to make it as like a, you know, independent person in games. It's still hard, but it's not like, it's not crazy. No, and right. I think it, like, it's just like this evolving sense of like, um, uh, like realizing after a while, like, oh, I'm definitely more of a generalist. If I get put into the, like a sure. really, really tight specialist space, I'm just personally unhappy. Yeah. Um, but there was no sense still that being a generalist or trying to make my own games was yeah. going to be a career. Okay. Like at the well, time, guess, it was. So it yeah, was, what I'm, I'm going to ask is like, would the stuff you're making at night and on the weekends, or whatever, did you see that you were just going to like? release the stuff for free or like, like, like what, what was the, a lot of it at some point it sort of turned into, if it felt like my sense was got a job, got health insurance, got a salary, Uh uh, things are, and live in this cool city. And, uh, uh, this whole setup is pretty all right. 
Um, could start a family on this setup and it would probably basically be okay. We could get married doing this and that would be fine. Uh, but um, uh, one of the takeaways from applying to all these game companies is I'm terrible at making games, basically. I have no idea what I'm doing, really. Like at that point in my life, I'd made three games, one of which was a bad text adventure, right. basically. So I have... I don't have the art chops to make my own art. I don't, I can't make my own music. I'm not a good enough programmer. I don't have a framework in which I can build games. And probably this is around the time also that I played cave story for the first time, Uh um, which isn't, um, I don't want to artificially put it on a super high pedestal or anything, but I think it was like a very much right game at the right time. Uh And that guy's still one of my favorite, his weird little, his weird little mobile game about a frog with a bubble gun or something. And, I love it to death. Like he's just this solo creator with a very particular voice, right. uh, and um, find his work really inspiring. But I never heard of him before and had no idea what was going on. And a friend's like, "You got to play this weird free game. There's this you can play this free game called Cave Story. It's like a Super Metroid or something. It's yeah. wild." And um, I loved it to death. And it has this really melancholy soundtrack and this really, really hyper consistent visual style. And it's got pretty fun gameplay and some cool boss battles. And then found out it was like everything was made by a dude, right. like one guy. And it took him five years or something of nights and weekends, but he made a whole right. game. And it's a, it's a beautiful, sad, funny, exciting game. And like, yeah, it's very he's very close to a Metroid or something, right. but it has all these great bits and pieces so playing that around so, 2005 ish maybe so that probably felt like like this game has human scale right? yeah like, it was like it's close i can't make something this big yet but i can yeah there's somehow okay you can this can be done right this is doable at all but it looks like this and i i think it was right around then i stopped i've been doing a lot of like 3d work and stopped almost entirely and just started doing pixel art okay it was like a reminder i liked doing pixel art as a kid even because you get an ms paint you could zoom in really really close for no reason and would make like bad sonic the hedgehog fan art or whatever and um but yeah cave story was like oh here's one of the ways you do it right like these little you make these little bitty sprites and you blow them up really big on the screen (laughs) and they can be really uh, communicative. They can be really expressive, and that's maybe that's one of the ways that you can do this. Because I'm probably not going to be able to do it in 3D. Yeah. Uh, and if the kind of 3D that I'm interested in is kind of going out of style anyway, mm-hmm. like, you know, like like Time Crisis Jet Moto, just like crunchy, like crunchy, really, really low poly. Like at, like low poly was already a style choice back then. Sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, but it was kind of on its way out. It wasn't attractive and it was a lot slower and the programming 2d stuff seemed easier. And so like, well, the 2d stuff's always going to look the same. It's not going to, yeah, it's, it's look radically age, different because it ages pretty well. Around it changes. Yeah. yeah. And, um, so that was like, um, the cave story thing was like a pretty, it was a pretty healthy reminder. It was, uh, it was like maybe you can nights and weekends this, maybe you right. could just like, uh, and, but did you think you were going to do what what he did and just make something release it for free and see what happens? Um, I I'm sure we had. I think we still had this like weird made up business plan thing that was like mm-hmm. that we're going to make games at some point we we're going to make like um, like Nokia phone games. Oh, really? so there were like people in the pixel art community uh, um, who. Um, uh, uh, 
Cappy up in Toronto, mm-hmm. Capybara Games, they were making um, like Nokia games, and uh, I had I eventually fell into a gig of making like T-Mobile Sidekick games okay. for a while, um, not programming them, but doing art and design and uh-huh. stuff like that, um, and had a great great collaborator in Seattle um, who. Uh, sort of hired me to work on a bunch of stuff they were doing uh, and just trying to turn in cool pixel art and stuff like that uh, and learning how to do pixel art better in the process and everything. But I think we had, I think we had some notion. I can remember like researching and trying to figure out like, how do you put it? How do you make a whole game for a Nokia phone and put it on a Nokia phone? And how does that work? And who do you have to talk to? And um, so you're looking learning... for, you're looking for some like format where, you know, you you know, you could make the you know, you'd be able to compete with whatever, assuming that there's Yeah, I was looking at like phone games and it was like, oh, it's like bad Tetris or right. um the one one game that was really um dis- like, like disproportionately inspirational because of timing and stuff was a a, a game called Tower Blocks, mm-hmm. which is like a one button yep. um really. balance arcade thing. And uh that was um, such a cool practical thing. I was like, I was like, oh my, oh yeah, because we already like it took us it took us no time on this weird we're gonna make cell phone games thing to figure yeah. out that cell phones are the worst. Yeah, no, I the totally love that game. Because, worst. Like I had some flip phone and you know I got some games. It was like literally the only one that like made any sense at all. Yeah, because it just had the most simplest requirements on the on the player. We're yeah, like, we're like you know what. Well, and, one and I was just like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. One button, there's like one art background, there's mm. like one kind of game piece, or you can make ten different building... Like, I was just like, oh, man, this is this is really, really smart. I don't know what we're going to do, but this is like a piece of it. Uh-huh. Something, something about that Tower Blocks form factor uh, is cool and promising, and, um, and we never made any Nokia games at all. <laughs> Uh, All right. So, what did you make at this, this uh, time? Like now that you were, you know, yeah, you so had the job. We were, we were practicing all this like inside. pixel art stuff, and then um, we we were doing some other contracts on the side with range of clients from good to bad. Uh, actually, did a little bit of work for um, for Simon uh, Carlos okay. uh, uh, over on advertising division of things back in like two thousand seven or two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a, a, a so it was a, a Silverlight game engine kind of. Mm-hmm. So they were doing Doctor Dobbs was a thing. Still, is that is that a thing now? I think it might have gone away. It was like a Microsoft technical yeah. journal or whatever, and uh, they were pushing their new Flash competitor Silverlight really hard. Yeah. And Silverlight was one of the first commercial things that was using C Sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess back in like 2007 or 2008 maybe and uh, I, I, don't, I don't remember if they were called UBM then but the the sort of the, the ad company that was running this stuff for Microsoft hired us to make a little platforming game for them uh, and to but the part of it would be that it would be an open source game engine for the platforming thing and they would have a competition with it and the journal and whatever and so we took all the failed C++ Python data-driven crappy experiments and uh, use those to... Oh, there was an in-between step. At some point, processing happened. 
uh, the like um, super lightweight little IDE JavaScript like visual creative coding thing. Mm-hmm. And it was in its infancy and it was kind of clunky and slow. But um, something about that format was really cool. And I had tried to make um, some kind of Java or processing 2D game engine, but it was it was just prohibitively slow right. and it never worked. But um, Silverlight had all this stuff that I really wanted. It had pixel level access to images. It had these awful .NET libraries that did a bunch of other stuff that I really needed. And C Sharp was a cool language. Were you messing with Flash at this point at all? or uh, A little bit, but it was ActionScript 2, yeah. and so it couldn't do pixel art stuff, really. You could, but it was you didn't have access to individual pixels, and you couldn't do buffers and so stuff like Silverlight that. Silverlight was a better match. Silverlight had pixel buffers, and you could do... So you could scale pixels up and have it look rational, and things could be in unit space and, and all of that stuff. And so we built... And before like, that, you were doing like two D games and like yeah, was, basically, or like? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Like the the two D game programming that I was doing was still in C plus plus and Python, okay. um, and there wasn't a lot of that happening. Like most of my time was just trying to get better at pixel art, just try to being able to make something that anybody could look at and not right. be like. Yeah, I guess we're kind of skipping over other side of you here, which is like you developing your art ability. Right. Which you yeah, that was sort of like um, I was my good paying contract work was all about programming and my bad paying contract work was all about doing artwork. But I really wanted to get good it. enough at doing art that I didn't have to rely on somebody else to put out a game or Had whatever. Had you stopped your regular job at this point or were you just doing contracts on the side? Uh, it, seems like it was kind point- of a mix. I didn't stop. I guess by the time I was doing the C sharp stuff, I had stopped the full time. So, like the whole like contract stuff is interesting. It's just so fundamentally different from how I've <laughs> I've ever worked on games. Right, right. Like, right. like what was your actual first paid contract? Like, uh, even Flight happened? Sim. It was a friend of a friend of a friend thing. It was while this was a year or two before I quit my day job. Right, and a guy that. Becca knew through somebody else um, had a friend who worked at a, like a scientific imaging company in Utah mm-hmm. and the Microsoft flight simulator X team had contracted that office to make all the little, little buildings for the cities. Uh, and they were really busy doing mm-hmm. holograms of human lungs or something like something real and important. And uh, I'd been doing this low poly experimental 3d stuff and um had a little website with like a bad portfolio on it and stuff and so a friend of a friend had sent the website to them and they reached out and said you want to do some of these little 3d buildings for this real video game that people have actually heard of or whatever and i was like hell yeah right. yeah 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 let's do that uh and so that was that was your first game industry yeah work basically <laughs> yeah i would do i would like i would go program the photography software during the day and then would go home and at night i would make like a little a little uh, like twelve polygon. Uh, we had to do LODs, I guess. So it was doing right. manual LODs, so I'd make five versions of an apartment building, yep. and then the next night I would work on the texture and like hand painted all the no- little normal maps and everything, and then would pack it up and send it off to them. And uh, it was really bad pay. I don't remember what I was getting paid, but it was it was not much. Right. Uh, and uh, but they liked the output, and eventually I got to do all the. Um, 
not all, but a bunch of the major landmarks in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did like the um, the Statue of Liberty and the Taj Mahal and like the Chrysler Building. Okay, and a bunch your, of stuff like like good. some of the main buildings yeah. in the game yeah, sure. are my little low poly uh, like uh, uh, it was a weird thing it was like the pixel art interest and the low poly interests like suddenly overlapped perfectly because uh-huh. you had like Statue of Liberty's face was like six pixels or something right. um, and I could kind of get a decent amount of, of stuff out of it uh, and uh, okay. I knew how to do LODs I could do manual LODs that were really effective because I'm doing a bunch of low poly experiments too it was just like a very perfect like perfect project and i never had a contract that was that good for like three or four years after that basically um like a good client doing cool work and client appreciated what i was doing and it was like did all your like eventually once you started getting more and more contracts were they based off of like one contract would lead to another or like it was just like a crazy grab bag of it's pretty grab baggy like i was involved in the pixel art there was like an online pixel art community okay. where people were doing do critical feedback and there was like a job board and stuff like that so you were just uh, you know you'd kind of put yourself into a lot of communities and yeah came and that was yeah and some stuff would come in and uh a lot of it was just really bad clients so you'd try to work on their thing and they'd give you bad feedback and you'd turn in bad work and so like there's a a big string of this um this this period this is like 2005 to 2007 or something like that is just a lot of learning how to be a freelancer at all yeah uh and uh the thing that helped us eventually is we um beck and i had worked out that even if we were really hard up for cash we probably should say no when we get you get this like you'd get an email from a possible client and be like, Hey, I've got a good budget and some work, but something about how things would be worded would just give you this like sound bad. Yeah. Just be like, Oh, but we really need the money. Cause we've messed up our taxes and just have to, is that because, we learned a hard pass. Is that because and, the, uh, the project would be a giant pain or because they wouldn't pay you at the end? Uh, could be both. Okay. Uh, how much did that happen? Like, like uh, a of the projects is like yeah you know, and it would be at least or half the projects and wow. it would it would be a mix <laughs> it would be a mix of just honest to goodness terrible bureaucracy like we did uh, a bunch of prototyping work for electronic arts really? and um getting paid was just hard they'd be like it was like trying to get paid by a foreign government or something they'd be like you need to take this form to so and so and file it there and that got lost and uh like I always imagine, like it was all like pneumatic tubes, and like, <laughs> it's like a scene from Brazil. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it was really, and sometimes, sometimes they were just scammers. And yeah. um, I did a contract one time for a guy that had gotten into video games after selling his tire factory in Detroit, okay. uh, and that was the worst guy that I ever worked for in my wow. whole life. Um, and. Interest. Well, so at some point you stepped away from like a full time job. So this seems like a big deal, or had, because you like you stepped away from health insurance and probably stability. Yeah, we had switched. So, so Becca had gotten a full time job and had uh, health okay. insurance, and so we started getting health insurance. Not oh, okay. getting. She was, <laughs> was getting like, health oh, awesome. insurance. Yeah, yeah. No, that would that would have been all double clever. <laughs> uh, no, we figured out at some point we were trying to figure out how things were working, and uh-huh. we I wanted to commit more time to getting better faster right. basically like working on nights and weekends was okay uh but at the same time my the company that we worked for was changing and uh i lost a lot of the autonomy that i had and a lot of the creative control that i had which sounds funny to say for like photography software but like it was 
it was good to go in there and know I was doing good work. Yeah. Um, and this was, this was connected to things that we were learning freelancing. Like the idea of the main threat or problem with the bad clients is that you would do bad work for them and you couldn't use the bad work to get more work. Sure. So it was always better to turn down a bad client and just do a cool project on your own because it, even though you're not getting paid, at least you can get a cooler job because mm-hmm. you're leveling your skills up a little bit more. Sure. So there's always this like snowball attitude huh. about yeah. our client work. And I was beginning to notice that my day job work was not meeting the standards that we would have for our freelancer client work that we would do. Hmm. Um, and so, so you felt like your your regular job was slowing you down. Yeah, it was kind of I was spinning wheels there. It wasn't getting a lot done. Um, they weren't giving out raises. They were only giving raises to the CEO that year, right. um, and a bunch of, a bunch of things had kind of stacked up. And so we started doing the math, and we're like, okay, so we want to buy a house, um, and to do that we have to have jobs. Yeah, and we want to get married, and if we get married, then I can get health insurance yep. uh, amongst we were getting married because we've been dating for like seven and a half years. Sure. But in <laughs> but addition also, to that, also we were going to get health insurance figured out. And, um, uh, so, in, so, she, so she had a job with health insurance. Yeah. So in 2006, we, July, 2006, we bought a house and got married and I quit my job. Yeah. Well, all right. All in one nice year, all in one go. Yeah. Uh, and we had, we had lined up the, um, aforementioned tire factory client who had this huge Did you budget. buy the house while you still had a job? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> like, quit less than a week later. Yeah. Oh, wow. So got financed by the bank and just bailed hard. Hey, that was a good time to buy a house also. Yeah. If you waited a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was pretty good timing. We sold that one slightly too early if we'd hung on to it for an extra year. Well, I guess I should rephrase myself. Actually, in some sense, it's a bad time because presumably the prices were pretty high. But it was a great time to get a loan, so... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> it it was it was all basically fine. It was a really it was like like hundred fifty thousand dollars house or something. Okay. It was like and it was a really cute, weird little house in South Austin, and it was just perfect. Wow. Uh, and but yeah, we did it all. We just kind of like let's, <laughs> let's do it all this month, and it was the wor- one of the worst months of our whole lives. Yeah, yeah. that's um, hilarious. In fact, it was imagine filling your mortgage application. Like, how yeah. long have you worked? I worked there for two years. Yeah, I've been in there the back. Two, I'm yeah, quitting next two and a half, <laughs> two and a half years, getting raises, working directly for the CTO. Yeah, it's a it's a great setup. And then yeah, like like less than ten days later. Uh, just bailed. Um, <laughs> All right, cool. And did you feel you feel you felt like you could get the contract work you needed if necessary, basically? Uh, so we had one contract lined up that was really lucrative, uh-huh. and we hadn't realized the extent to which it was pretty abusive. And eventually, um, a month or two after we I quit my job, I canceled that contract. Yeah, because um, they it was it was bad, yeah. uh, and. Um, so then we were a little bit stuck, right? And we we had bought it was it was a very you know uh, conservative home purchase sure. and everything. We like we hate the idea of we wanted to work for ourselves and so the idea of being house poor and working for yourself is a bad, extremely bad, stressful combination. Uh, and we lived in this cheap city, so we could get away with all this stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, took on mostly programming jobs. Uh, 2006, 2007, mm-hmm. um, with some art stuff on the side. So the yeah. programming jobs would be pretty lucrative, and then the art stuff not so much. Yeah. And then, we're, yeah. so in the background, were you working on something that you like you thought would be the thing to take like the big leap forward? Usually, or? yeah. And then it would just not work out. Yes, okay. We'd like 
I mean, a, lot there... of, a lot of passionate text documents and okay. bad game engines, and then yeah. it would just. I mean, is there a game here? Away. I'm just trying to figure out at what point, like, is there a game here specifically worth talking about that, like, you made that, like. Um, it's right. It's probably around like 2008 where uh, I they finally uh, in 2007 Flash is so pressured by hot garbage Silverlight that disappeared almost right away that they um, release a new scripting language and new uh, player that yeah. has pixel level access. Okay, and that's when I got extremely into making flash games. Okay. And that was probably initially March, 2007 or something like that. Okay. Uh, and that's when it started to get really cool. It's like, so you, Oh, this is really cool. You can just put it up. I can just put it on an FTP somewhere. Uh-huh. Lots of people can play it. And that, and at that point it was not a commercial interest. It was right. just like, I, I can finally learn. I can make stuff. I can make little bitty sprites. I can put them in flash Flash is easy and rowdy to code in, and I can put it on a, a web server somewhere, and I can get feedback. Okay. Now so this I can is learn the beginning of the Flash stuff. story, basically, right? Like, I think so. Well, there was like there wasn't a, there wasn't a business model yet because there weren't like Flash portals, but like there, yeah, there there definitely were some, okay. but it was all it was all ActionScript two games. It was actually like that was the golden age of Flash because it was so hard to make a cool game in Flash that. Mm-hmm. Um, a website would be like, can you make, can you make, you can make games in Flash? Here's half a million dollars. <laughs> like the, the Flash game, but there were Flash game budgets that were unbelievable. What was, but... Uh, Action Script 2 was just awful to work in. Yeah, it was but absolutely awful to work in. What was their goal? Why were they, what did they want the game to be? Like just a, advertising oh, just stuff a, frequently. Wow. Um, okay. It'd be like Adult Swim or somebody, uh, you know, like, let's put cool games on our website and... Yeah, I don't understand. A couple hundred thousand I don't bucks. understand the Flash with the old... I mean, whatever, that model's yeah. basically gone, but I don't understand the old Flash model at all. Yeah, there was... So. There was um, there was just, like, commissioned turnkey work, and there was... Um, uh, portals were around. There was Newgrounds and some other things where you would post your work and they would... Um, you know, every couple months, wire you a share of the revenue generated yeah. by your URL on their uh, page or whatever. And Congregate was Congregate was probably around by then too. So there's like a few. There was stuff going on, but uh, like but the, the games, like Flash games, all looked very like Flash games okay. because there was no nobody had the pixel art access thing going on. Is this kind like, of like the I don't know how to describe it. Like I'm saying, like almost like paper doll look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you'd have stuff like um, like the Behemoth was making these way above average Flash games. Uh Had a guy there who was doing more hand animation and less like just bad rotating stuff. Right. um, uh, Flash as a animation tool was kind of up and coming at the time too. Uh, and um, so just there was occasional mixes of people who were like, I've been using this weird animation tool and it's getting pretty good. And, oh, I've been figuring out you can actually run scripts on some of the animation clips for some reason. And you right. can actually make games with this. Yep, yep. You're not really supposed to be able to. Did that, uh, do you, was that their intention at all? Like, was it just... Like, I have no idea. I think the, I, I mean, I think initially the idea was. I think it was a mix of things. Um, and initially the idea was having cooler web content, whatever that meant. Right. But even pretty early, like Shockwave days or whatever, like the idea that this could be um, used for interactive stuff, and this could be used for games, was was out there. There was just 
uh, it seemed like there were real limits and you couldn't make a real game. So I think like Alien Hominid from the Behemoth was like a pretty big deal. Because yeah. it was like, this is a lot like a game right. game. It has like a metal slug thing going on. And it's just in a browser window and that's really weird and cool. Yeah. Um, is and like Crush, Crush the Castle would be a early, you know, big thing too. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was stuff. Yeah. And I understand it was Flash was always sort of like the, they were bending a tool for animation yeah, it started very much games, like that, and right? I think ActionScript 3, and when I started using Flash a lot, was some kind of acknowledgement from Adobe that, like, At yeah, that this, is being, this is being used for inter- interactivity yeah. heavily, and here's a, is a slightly better scripting language, slightly better access to some of the data in the player, and here's, um, uh, uh, like, a compiler uh, that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can just run on the command line. You don't have yeah. to go through all the clunky animation stuff. You can just bypass it, and you can just write code if that's what you really want to do. Yeah, and it supported pixel art better, which is like the thing that was important. Yeah, because that was that was right. like a it was we had been I'd, you know back of the head there was always this checklist of things. It was like uh, chip tunes, easy music to make. You can just program it. Pixel art, easy art to make. So it can be really 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 small, and you can just programmatically make it larger. And oh whoa, now there's this way of um, making pixel art games and sharing them really easily, yep. uh, and that was that was a cool good good moment, right? Yeah. Uh, so like all, all the pieces were there. Yeah. So like the first game. game that I made that more than like ten. And I should played. add, like, and we've talked this a little bit, and that there was sort of a now a business model as well. Right. There was it wasn't on my radar as a thing except that maybe we could get client work. Right. So I yeah. I had actually done an action script two I do done two paid action script two games. Right. Um uh, one one of them was done in Flash proper and the other one was done with an open source Flash compiler, but those are both pre pixel art Flash days or whatever. Sure. Okay. Um, so it was like I think it was on my radar commercially as like oh you could um, you could do client work, but it wasn't on my radar as I can make a Flash game and sell that game to people because I, I also like I think there was not like a lack of confidence or whatever, but it just seemed really far fetched that I was gonna at any point in the next year or two at that point um, build a game. And then that people would want to exchange money for it. Right. It just seemed very far fetched because right. I wasn't even making a whole game. My like my first pixel art flash game was like a, a, a vertical space shooter kind of a thing, and it had like one enemy, and that was it. Yeah, and like an enemy would come out in waves, and the waves would loop every ten seconds or something. And it, but it had a smooth scrolling background. It was like like the dream of 10 year old Adam. I was like smooth scrolling, smooth scrolling background. I've got cool. I wrote my own chip tune music for it. And I got a little thing moving around and explodes and you press left and right and it goes left and right. And I made up all of it. I made up all the pieces here. It's all my art and all my sound. And that feels really cool. And tools were getting neat. Like there was a free audio tool. Somebody made a thing called CFXR, CFXR, uh, which was like, a. Uh, audio, I guess technically a synthesizer, but it was like a it was a neat little tool that had a like twenty different sliders and could randomly generate little chippy sounds, and then you could export them to WAV files. So it was sort of like, oh, there's this new pixel art capable Flash version, and there's this tool that can make all the sound effects, and I don't have to do fully for everything or whatever, whatever 
mouth sounds. Like, I don't, I don't know what the plan was otherwise. There was no plan. <laughs> Buy an expensive library yeah, of things sure. or whatever. I could just download this cool indie tool and just, like, click a bunch of buttons and get all my wave files. Here's my explosion sound and whatever and pack them into the thing. Right. Um, hmm. And... Cool. Uh, all right. So now, then I assume, like, you finished your first little, you know, tiny Made game. a little terrible thing and nobody and then, cared about it. Yeah. Uh, and I actually ma- I made that to bring to the first GDC I attended, which was in, like, 2007. Oh, really? So I wanted to... Okay. I was meeting up other people from Indie Games forum, like, message board. And Did I wanted you buy to, a pass? Like, or were you just trying to come out there? Uh, like, there I, was no Indie Summit. A friend there, was, was in the... Uh, I had their game was in the IGF and they needed someone to watch their booth. So okay. I got an exhibitor pass, but I don't remember if I actually was able to attend the indie game summit that year or if there was an indie game summit that, that year. Probably, I think it may have been the very first year. That yeah. Right. I think there, I think it happened that year, but I did not attend it because right. I couldn't get in. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I believe I attended in 2008 or got to see some of the talks in 2008 maybe, right. but I yeah, made a little thing and thought it would impress everybody and it didn't impress anybody. But then, uh, the guy who had got me into flash coding is this, um, uh, New York based developer named Ivan Safran, mm-hmm. um, who does polycode now and a bunch of other cool stuff. Uh, he was the one who got me into flash and a bunch of us in the room, people who would now, I feel like have a very, um, a lot of people that have relatively big biggish indie careers now so it was me and um our friend kyle who uh put out um snapshot and um uh offspring fling and is a amongst other things a twitch emoji uh <laughs> alec Holoka from aquaria and night uh-huh. in the woods um tommy refinez who went on to make super yeah. meat boy um Bunch of us hanging out in a hotel room, and we made we all made a game together in the hotel room because we were bored and poor and like, <laughs> couldn't afford it. to drink in <laughs> any way. Yeah. Uh, and we were in like the um, the Holiday Inn Civic Center, which is like um, at, at least at, in 2007 was not the nicest hotel <laughs> that you could have stayed at. Uh, and uh, we made this game called Owl Country, uh-huh. uh, and it was like. Uh, it was based on a thing where some other indie devs, including the guy that um, went on to make Fez, were uh, an incident involving really uh, potent herbs and an owl had happened in Montreal previously, and it was kind of like uh, this like funny community story, and we made a game where you were an owl swooping on... Guys with monocle. It was really weird in joke, in jokey game thing. But then, um, but we made like a whole little game in like two days, basically. And uh, and then we kind of put it up online when we got back from GDC that year. And it was like, whoa, that was cool. That was like, I was in a. This I like. I had never been around other game developers basically for more than half a day before that point. Ever. Like all, ever. all your contact work was just all done over the internet? All Almost all remote. remote. Wow. Uh, so you weren't connected to any specific Austin yeah, the, at all? Not really, because I'd never gotten a job at one of the game companies there. I'd occasionally had some programming gigs that were game tangential, but a yeah. lot of the programming was just, I was a C++ programmer, so yeah. I did satellite radio client server work, and uh, oh, I had done, I'd actually, I had sat in an office for a week and made... Um, made the deck builder interface for um, some kind of Zynga Facebook magic clone at some point. Right. Uh, okay. All right. But functionally so, speaking, you hadn't been around 
devs really. Yeah. No, yeah. So it's, and like or been in a guys, whole building and there's all there's how like. How did you guys arrange to all meet? Like, I think it was it, it was probably just a joke on the thing, but um, because um, Tommy's. Tommy Raffinez had a project called Goo at the time, yeah. which was in the IGF, and uh, it may have been the same year that Cran Physics was in the IGF. Mm-hmm. It might have been the first time that Fez was in the IGF. There was mm-hmm. a bunch of um, there was a bunch of folks who were active in this same online community, and they uh, were doing really. Was there a specific? Was this like Tick Source or a different? Yeah, it was Tick Source. Right, sure. um, okay. And so there was, there happened that, especially around that time, to be a bunch of people in that community, and they were doing um, really wild, above average work. Uh-huh. And uh, because um, oh, maybe um, Joachim Sandberg uh, might have been in the IGF that year. I can't remember. Okay. But there was a bunch of people from kind of from all over the yeah. world and all over the country, and they were all they so all had to be here to show the their IGF games. Was pretty important, and like. You know, kind of like a big reason for all you guys to get to come together to one place. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't know it was weird because like that was that phase of indie game development was very um, reactionary in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. um, there was the the indie game industry was teeny teeny tiny in terms of commercial things. There was the flash game thing happening sort of, but the big indie commercial market was like casual games so mm-hmm. like PopCap was a big deal and yeah. like even they had a you could download their game engine and make C++ PopCap games or whatever and um, and I think we all thought that PopCap games were like were lame mm-hmm. we're like these are these are lame and they don't have cool gameplay and they're um, we didn't have the language for Skinner boxes or anything but there was a sense of like you know these aren't challenging or they're not interesting or whatever. Like we were like, felt like very like punk rock scene. We're sure. like, we're going to make yeah. stuff that's actually cool and actually right. important or whatever. Um, regardless of whether or not any of that's true. That was what yeah. we thought. At the oh, time. That's a definitely uh, a certain attitude, which is yeah. fine. Uh, but it was pushing, it, it was resulting, I think in a lot of really experimental work. Yeah. Uh, and there was stuff around the same time, like, um, uh, Kyle Gray and Kyle Gabler were doing all their yeah. um, little Flash game that like that stuff being made in Flash was like an eye opener too. It was yeah. like oh these are like really weird cool little yeah. projects and these are all in Flash. That's interesting. Yeah, uh, it was it was a cool time. I mean I went to a lot of talks. I mean you saw me at that period even though I was like guy at Firaxis, guy at Electronic Arts, you know working on you know Spore or whatever. But yeah. it was like there's like it's just really fascinating what's going on here. Because all the projects I've been involved with were becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah. And just, like, more and more difficult to... Yeah. And then somebody comes and along... And do something interesting. Yeah. And, and then, like, uh, a Norwegian kid is like, what about if you just drew things and they those are shapes now and we just make a bunch of puzzles about that? And right. Yeah, what about that? <laughs> Let's do that more. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we all end up out there. And then I think when I get back to Austin, that's when we started trying to almost right away started trying to build up some kind of game community in Austin. Like I really wanted to be around other developers more than once a year. Okay. Uh, and there was almost nobody there at the time and eventually found, um, uh, there's a small studio that still operates, um, partially out of Austin called Renegade Kid. Okay. And they made a bunch of, uh, Nintendo DS games. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't know what their best known one would be. They have like a, some kind of like first person, 
horror game or something. They had, they had a really good programmer at the time. They were making, like, the same way, like, Shinen. They had, like, a Shinen-level, like, Nintendo handheld programmer who was doing 3D stuff that was way smooth and, like, way higher fidelity than you would expect from the system at the time. Um, and so we'd hang out with them sometimes, and Twisted Pixel had just moved there from the Midwest, yep. and they were not a Microsoft company yet. And so we'd <laughs> hang out with them sometimes, and it was just like... Uh, just needing to be around other people who are doing this stuff and how are they making it work. And Twisted Pixel was making Xbox Live games. Yeah. And Renegade Kid had a Nintendo publishing thing set up and we were trying to figure out... I just, we still didn't have a idea for what we were going to do commercially be above and beyond, well, I'm going to keep doing contract work. Yeah. And then uh, an acquaintance uh, who I used to go rock climbing with asked if I wanted to do some artwork for um, a mobile game that he was making for the new iPhone. Mm-hmm. They had just, the iPhone had come out um, in early 2008, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and they had just opened up the app store. The app store, yeah. Uh, and um, this guy had been working on this little game and uh, knew that I had been doing freelance game stuff. And he's like, I have this little thing, check it out, maybe do some art on it or something. And I played it a little bit and I was like, this is amazing. I didn't realize, I didn't know then that it was a Boggle clone. Uh-huh. Um, didn't cross my mind cause I'd never played Boggle before. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, this is a you, really you invented smart, this game. This is a really smart word game. This I was like, genius. yeah, it blew my socks off. I was like, <laughs> I, I could, me and this guy, we're going to start a company. Like this is incredible. Um, uh-huh. I didn't fig. I didn't find out until, months later like months after the game came out that it was just boggle that's funny um, boggle is the standard um recursion project you make in the stanford sales department like, oh. because it's a classic you know like take one letter and then go to the next and then go, yeah, the next, yeah, and then go yeah. back up and like anyway, it's funny yeah so i, I just had, i absolutely no idea so i did like the art and design and branding and stuff for it and we put it up on the app store and like like each put in 50 bucks or whatever to get it on the app store. (laughs) Uh, And we're like, that was weird and cool. Uh Uh, And then... So you had this boggle clone on the app store. And it was was the first... um, It sounds like a dumb claim or whatever, but it was like literally the first iOS game where you could drag your finger from grid square to grid square. Okay. And make a continuous line. Oh, right. Literally, no game had ever done Instead that before. Yeah, every, there were there were already Boggle clones on the App Store, sure. but you had to tap the letters. Um, so it was time to Boggle clone was probably pretty low for the App Store. I th- it was pretty. It was pretty quick. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't have a Mac at the time, so I had no idea what was going on yeah. with any of this stuff. I was like, iPhones. That yeah, that looks dumb. Uh, but like played this thing, and I was like, I had a framework for thinking about it from Nintendo games, and you know, had a DS with a stylus, so the yep. idea of a touchscreen and everything was fine. Uh, and then it was like organically a top ten game after like within a month yeah. or something like that. Okay. And it was what did you guys charge for it? Like two bucks two or bucks, something, okay. which was so mildly scandalous <laughs> because like that was really low. Okay, like the a normal iPhone game would have been like monkey ball at like 20 bucks or something really so when yeah. you said scandalous i was confused i was like oh you mean because it was two bucks not scandalously one low wow scandalously i didn't low. remember they started like like other developers throwing shade at us <laughs> for undercutting so this is all your fault the mobile market basically pretty much is your fault pretty much sorry everybody <laughs> uh 
So we made that, and it was it was. Um, I mean, top a top ten iPhone game then was a very very different number of paying customers than you would have now. Right. Uh, like how many games would you be selling? Like, a I'm month trying or to remember like, what we were doing in terms of units, but it was. Uh, it was not an unbelievable amount. It was like in the tens of thousands, maybe, right. or something like that. Okay. But um, it must have been pretty cool. It was awesome. Like, it was totally awesome. Like, we're it was like, selling the game. Like, yeah. It's just on there. We're not doing anything. Yeah. It's just there, and uh, uh, and we have all this revenue now, and now we can do other stuff. That's awesome. And there was no... It was the best platform at the time because there was no... Um, uh, what do they call it? Fragmentation? Yeah. Uh, there was a iPhone. <laughs> like, we made it for the iPhone. Right, yeah, yeah. And there, there was iPod Touch, but it was the exact same yeah. thing. So there was one, res, there was like a 300 by 400 pixel screen, and that's it. That's all you had. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed that we were like, oh, this is perfect. And that game was really fast. That only took like a couple weeks. Yeah. So we can just keep He's doing that. These and, things out. Yeah. We're going to have $10 right. million dollars in no time. So, so what did you uh, make next? Yeah. Like nothing interesting. Um, <laughs> like around the same time is when we started doing the Silverlight C Sharp game engine project, okay. Um, okay. which Flixel ended up being based almost completely on. And around the same time, I also did a Flash game, which was like a homage to a cool prototype a friend had made, and that game was called Gravity Hook. And that was the first game design that I worked on and tuned, and everything that more than like ten people had played. Okay. And that would have been like August or September 2008, probably. And mm-hmm. it was just a free online game, and it got probably like 50,000 players or something like that. Okay. Um, so it spread around quite a bit. Not, would you would you get like ad money for that or something? No. no, you just it was just a free game. Yeah, I just I put it up and I put it like posted it on Tig Source, and a bunch of people were playing it and having a lot of fun. So I was like, that was the first time ever that I. And it was it was based closely on a wait, friend of had wait made was that a, Flash or Silverlight Flash Flash okay Did uh, the, could you put stuff up on a Flash portal and get money for it at that point probably okay yeah but it wasn't it just wasn't on my mind at all I okay. was just like I was so happy to be making a game and I made it in less than a week it was like a in between contracts I like laid out oh at the end of August I've got a whole week I'm gonna make a whole game. And I'm not going to use a game engine framework or anything aside from new Flash. And I'm just going to write, I'm only going to write the code, the exact code that I need to make this one game. And it's going to be the simplest game I know how to make. Right, I just want to get the game done. Yep, and it's just like a little little bouncy climber game. And How did it work? Uh, uh, so a friend, this guy, this, this Swedish concept artist guy who never ships things but does all these cool projects named Nicholas Arne Janssen. And he had at one point made a little prototype that was supposed to be a, like a typing tutor prototype. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was you would, you would look at a little rectangle on the screen. It had a bunch of letters and you'd have to press the letter. When you press the letter on the keyboard, the corresponding thing would light up and a little line would be drawn from your character, that thing, and they would be like drawn to it. Okay. And they, the closer they got, the faster they would go. And then you had to let go right before they got there. And they would fling up in the air. Okay. But if you were still holding the key down when they got there, then you'd explode and the game okay. would restart. And you were trying to get to... And you kept flying up? You are trying higher. to get to a goal at the top of the rectangle. Okay. So it'd be, they would just randomly generate 10 keyboard letters and then you would try to climb up to the top thing and it would regenerate the level. Um, and so I'd send him emails like, Hey, I've got this, I've got a week coming up. I want to try to make a game. I really like, I think this is a really cool idea, but I want to get rid of all the, 
keyboard letters and have it be controlled with a mouse and then, you know, and make up all my own stuff. But, um, you know, obviously I'll credit you and link people to your original prototype when we post it and everything. And he's like, that's fine. I, I could not care less. I could not possibly care less. <laughs> I, he had already moved on. He was six projects down the line already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was like, cool. So I like had a, um, had like this gameplay reference. There was a little nugget of a thing and I was going to make it be mouse controlled and endless. Um, yep. just see how high you can climb at all. And, um, just try to like tune up that little kind of bouncy springy slingshotty feel and just, tr- and then, um, try to do some kind of evocative of little endless parts. games at this point that were like, there weren't a ton. The one, the one that was the most influential for me was a game called Thrustburst, mm-hmm. which had come out mostly from, at least partially from this the pixel art community that I was part of at the time, and which flew way under the radar. But uh, I would like strongly recommend that everyone play it. And it wasn't technically an endless game, but it was a long procedurally generated game. Okay. So you were a little spaceship flying through. Uh, like uh, you're flying into a tunnel, uh-huh. uh, and uh, like you know, helicopter, like any old like DOS game, right? But the um, the big deal was it was randomly generated. It had a cool art style, and it had a very very touchy, demanding, hardcore game mechanic where it was all about grazing. So you had a little laser that could vaporize obstacles, and the laser would use up your charge and the way you refilled it was by getting up and like great almost touching the walls mm-hmm. so you'd go graze the walls and little sparks would come off and your battery would refill and then you could have some more laser charges um, and that was the whole game and but it was really long you had to fly like 50 kilometers through this asteroid or something and then you would win mm-hmm. but it was different every time you died uh, so if you crashed into the wall, it would regenerate a new right. cool looking tunnel. Okay. Um, and it had really cool music and really yeah. cool art and it had this just okay. beautiful, simple, weird little mechanic that was always encouraging you to take little risks and get into danger in order to prepare for unexpected things. And it was really demanding. It, you would start moving really fast and the tunnel would get really, really small and there'd be little steam vents and all sorts of things. And so I, I'd, I'd been playing that and thinking about, why was that built and why was it built that way and what is it about it that I like and why do, why am I finding it compelling and uh, uh, why did you find it compelling? I, it felt it was so so profoundly at least on one so partly it was cool presentation uh, it was technically pixel art but it had a really cool kind of old school Commodore 64-esque palette. It was a lot of like grays and greens and blues, but it had a very a bunch of very deliberate style choices. The asteroid was very polygonal, um, partially so that it could be randomly generated easily, but then the ship had these really nice little details and it had a cool flashlight on the front um, that would sometimes illuminate rocks in the background. So it, it like, it felt cool just in superficially, but then um, I it felt like you could get better at it for like a long time. Mm-hmm. It felt like you could play it like 50 times or a hundred times and you'd still be learning little tricks about how the ship handled. It had really weird physics on it kind of, but it very intentionally weird. They'd built it in a very specific way to make certain things easy and certain things difficult. And it took, it felt like you could get better at it for a long time. And that felt like a cool, uh, 
like a cool, honest way to make a skill-based game or something. Like, there's no... What do you mean by honest? Uh, there was just above and beyond the elements that I've described, there's nothing else in the game. Uh-huh. Like, when you die, it doesn't, like, roll a dice and see if you can keep playing right. or have a big explosion and be like, whoa, new record, you, you know, you did it, try one more time, I'm sure you'll get farther next time. There's no hidden progressions, there's no... It showed you everything. You die seven times, the game automatically gets a little easier, right. there's just no nothing in there. There's... We... It was, designed, tra- it was transparent about yeah, about and the and very like we designed this set of challenges in a specific way, and if you have faith in us and confidence in us as designers, you'll go through and you'll have a really wild experience. You you will have an, a a dangerously elevated heart rate by the time you get like thirty kilometers into this asteroid or whatever, because right. um, you're going to be going so fast. But it is doable. Right. Humans can get through this thing, and you could be one of those humans or whatever. And, like, uh, I think... Um, it would get, it so was in, get, it was, it was get very, faster and faster as you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, I mean, you know, we'll get to this eventually. Is this where the sort of the running, I mean, gains faster in Cannibal comes Basi- from? Basically, basically yeah. yeah. This this Thrustburst game was just, like, very, very formative. And it was, it was kind of, like, off... It was set against, like, tower blocks, which is, like... In a lot of ways, the complete opposite of right. uh, neither of them are really um, the kind of casual. Like, n- neither none of these are like snood or something like that right. that would have been popular uh, around the time or like bejeweled or anything. Um, but tower blocks is like we have so few moving parts and very very simple controls, and anyone one anyone button. can pick this up yeah. and play this. And then there's uh, thrust burst, which is like. If you press the wrong button in the first five seconds, you die and the game starts over and the yeah. level's completely different. Yeah. So it was like pre-Dark Souls or something like that. It was just like, it was so um, rigid and consistent and precise and challenging and all of those things. And so I think both of those, both of those games were like floating around as like, these are cool. These are like extremes. These are like outliers. Uh, they're... Uh, exemplary of a bunch of qualities that I like Uh, and I think Gravity Hook was already I think me trying to figure out how to take the thrust burst stuff and the tower block stuff and like kind of smoosh it together Right. so like can you get people having thrust burst style freakouts and have that level of transparency and challenge and consistency and all that stuff, but can it be uh, simpler and more accessible right. and stuff like that? And Gravity Hook was definitely trying to do that a little bit. Right. So very so, demanding gameplay, but the controls were just like click with a mouse. There's no other anything to it. Um, okay. So did it matter where you clicked? Was it like yeah? There were so Gravity Hook is you're at the bottom of a giant of a super deep hole, uh-huh. and the game starts with a little haiku or something about. <laughs> a guy stealing some equipment and trying to climb out of this hole. Um, And there are these um, essentially bombs. The hole is just full of bombs and you have a grappling hook and you can grab onto the bombs and fly up to them. But if you uh, crash into them, then you'll explode. Uh, And so the bombs had a kind of an on and off state when the grappling hook hits them, they turn on and blink bright red. And then you, the closer you get to them, the more like, 
torque your grappling hook has and the faster you go. And so the idea is just constantly getting as close to the bottom as you can without quite touching it and then letting go with the grappling hook and letting your momentum carry you up to a point where you can grapple another bomb. And so the grapple was just clicking on the bombs as you climb up this hole. Okay. And um, there's only one kind of bomb. Uh, There's no progression. There's no achievements. There's no unlocks. uh, There's no anything. I at some point made a bad sort of high score table out of like a PHP script or something. Um, There was no database or anything, but there was a top 10 high scores online for a little while. Um, and it was and it was endless. It was like, totally endless, and it was a bad, was it was it a bad version of endless too, because like it would just get impossible. Like at some point, sure. all it did was make the bombs be farther apart. So the higher like, so at some point, it might literally be impossible. Like I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it was completely impossible at a point because there's no way you could get enough you momentum. How come you didn't put a, an ending, especially since that was the example from wait, was it thrust? The right. Uh, I mean, part of it is like I would. Uh, it was gonna have an ending. Uh-huh. And then I ran. I had to start contract work. <laughs> you ran out of time, <laughs> which is exactly what happened on Cannibal. Like almost a year later, it was uh, the exact same thing. I was like, this time I'm going to have a cool ending, just like my favorite game, Thrust Burst. And uh, seven days go by, and it's like, nope. Guess this one doesn't have an ending either. Um, but like friends were playing it, and were like, shut up, you don't need an ending. It's fine. Yeah, it's it just like, like, nobody cares. It seems nobody like one cares. of the defining things about those games is like there is no ending. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting that was not your intention. Uh, yeah, I think with uh, with gravity, like I couldn't figure out what it was. I guess like you could climb out of the hole eventually or something. But it was <laughs> it was it was so. It doesn't seem scope. that hard right. to like. No, it's, it's, it's pretty There's much hole, sitting right there. Right. <laughs> but it was it was like literally out of scope, and the game had nothing in it. Yeah. There was no background. It's just a black screen. I made a little bitty background pixel art at the bottom. Like the there was just the player character. And there was um, the little bombs you grab that had two frames, yep. three frames of animation, maybe, and were like eight by eight pixels. Right. And then uh, there's the title screen, which I worked on for as long, almost as long as the game. Right. So how long is this? You took like a week or two to work on this, or it took longer? Gravity Hook was like six or seven days. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and then was, you you it was like upcycling code from the crappy spaceship game. Right. And upcycled that. And started adding pieces. I was like, yeah. "Oh, uh, yeah, I have two frames of animation. I don't think there was any animation, real animation code in it yet. Yeah. Everything was just separate PNGs." So, considering at the same time you were selling this Boggle game, yeah, right, and doing contract work. But wouldn't it make more sense to make this game and put it up on the iPhone where you could sell? probably? You yeah, didn't, you didn't think about that at all. No, I was you doing different even... iPhone stuff. Okay, at the time, like we. I started doing, uh, I was doing my own C++ OpenGL prototypes for uh-huh. iPhone at the time. So yeah. I had a, um, I'd done a, we had a prototype where you were like a little gunner guy. You had like a little machine gun turret and zombies like would come toward you and then you'd move your thumb back yeah. and forth on the bottom of the screen and the thing would go back and forth and you'd blow up all the zombies. But there's just nothing to do in it except that. Um, and so that never really went anywhere. And... Um, they started making a racing game, mm-hmm. like a super off-road style, and that was in, in Flash or in C plus plus and OpenGL for for iPhone. Okay, and that actually got pretty far along. It had a logo, uh-huh. and uh, we had um, like a track editor, and 
it could um, take track collision info and procedurally place all the little racing walls. And I made little low poly cars. So it was like a 3D, semi 3D iPhone game. And they could go off jumps. They had like fake height and little shadows and hazards on the course and everything. And we had a cool. I've still never seen people do it, but you played the whole game looking through the middle of a steering wheel. So you could turn the steering wheel on the sides Uh of the phone with your thumbs and you'd saw the game inside uh, with the racing going around. That's how you turned your car or whatever. And it felt really cool and just never finished it. Yeah. Um, So you were thinking about like, it'd be nice to make an iPhone game. Yeah, yeah. Stick up there. Yeah, so like the, there was zombie machine gun thing that was my design. There's just nothing to do. And then this like weird super off-road clone, but never figured out like, how it was going to be structured or what was going to make it really fun above and beyond like the steering wheel thing felt cool. Um, and I like making little, little teeny tiny cars. Um, and then basically got really frustrated because like we weren't getting any new games done and then, um, made cannibal. Uh, (laughs) Basically, (laughs) which is going like, like going back to gravity hook ideas. It was just like, I'm like, these iPhone games are getting too big. All the ideas are too big. And we yeah. work, on, work on them for months and nobody's able to play them or have fun. I'm just like, every time somebody's like, what are you making now? And I'd be like, well, here. And they'd go, well, what else does it do? And like, just nobody liked. I didn't I, like what we were making and nobody else did either. So how, how come you were making these bigger projects? Like, what, how did you end up in the situation? Like, you felt like you understood you shouldn't be making these big, long projects. This is everything. I think I thought they were small. I think I thought they were small and then they would just get, I was just like, Oh yeah, we'll just make a racing game. And just with no consideration at all that like, that's not super easy to do actually. Yep. Um, and yeah, it was just, I don't think there was any, um, yeah, there was nothing. There was, there were, there were other flash prototypes that I was making at the same time too. Um, there was like a silent scopey clone thing. And another thing, and the all abandoned once it, I realized their scope was so was too big. wild. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let's talk about Cannibal then.